0: Welcome, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. We want to thank you for taking time to listen to our Sun, Salt, and Light broadcast. We want you to know and grow in the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, and be the salt and the light. We'd like to thank you so much for taking time to listen to this broadcast we simply teach the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and we believe that God changes a life one verse at a time. I'd like to personally invite you out to come and see the church. Uh, it is a very casual atmosphere, and uh, but we do take the Word of God very seriously. We meet in a non-traditional church building. We actually meet at the BFW 3966 in Divine, Texas. It's located at 211 West College Avenue, big white building right next to the post office. Our service times are on Sunday when we go through the New Testament uh, at 10 a.m., and then on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m., we go through the Old Testament. Uh, We have children's ministry available for both services, and if you need to get more information on the church, you can go to calvarydivine.org. Today's special guest, Matthew Petit, will be in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 through 52. The title of this sermon is, For Even Jesus Was a Servant of All. Here's part two of a three-part study With Matthew Petit,
1: you know that those who consider the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be uh, first among you must be the slave of all. Again, this moment of crisis and uncertainty in this portion of their ministry just revealed what their passions were and what they thought was valuable in the eyes of God, in in their own eyes. You know, it created this competition between the disciples for the position of glory and to rule over one another. And it became a threat to not only the mission of Jesus, but the will of God, especially for these men. And he explains the root of their issues and, and their misunderstandings of the kingdom of God. Again, they're approaching it with man's eyes and, and their point of view, their philosophies and their concepts, instead of God's perspective and the example of Jesus himself. So again, he mentions this, right? You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. You know, that example would have hit directly home to them. It would have hit them right between the eyes, because they are under an oppressive reign from the Romans with Caesar and even from the religious system itself with these corrupt leaders and and it was just nothing but tyrants exploiting the people and, and just power tripping over them and and what happens is Jesus is explaining here men who reach these positions of power usually find no limit and abandon all morals to secure their their places of power to ensure that there won't be no threats to it and and the effects from men like this are terrible and he's like and and imagine it he's telling them you should know this you're you're living in it you're getting taxed out of your mind from the roman tax you you can barely go worship the lord because now there's a temple tax on top of having to pay for the sacrifice to atone for your sin you should know this and Jesus explains to them this, but it shall not be among you. Whoever wants to be the greatest must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be a slave of all. Jesus, what he's showing here is a contrast be- between the world's eyes and God's eyes. It's as clear as day. You know, and, and this idea of, of wanting to be great, I, I love how he's not trying to knock that. He's like, you should pursue to be the greatest, right? You should pursue this, but you're approaching it in in all the wrong ways, right? You must be a servant and a slave of all, he tells them. And, And in that time, being a servant and a slave, that was one of the lowest positions in society. You were either there because you owed some money to either that person or to another person, it just, it just had this bad rep to it. It was just kind of like, man, they, they did whatever they did to deserve that position, and, and you were a slave. But what Jesus is, is explaining here is the character of a servant, is complete obedience and submission to their master. And again, he's not trying to stop them from becoming a leader to desiring being great. I love something that uh, Pastor Art Reyes said. He's in Calvary Chapel Downey. He said this, you know, the depth of leadership is entitlement. And don't ever forget being a servant is what made you a leader. And this is what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. Right? You want to be great. You want to lead. Those are, those are great things. Don't approach it in the wrong way. Have the characteristics of a servant in complete obe- uh, obedience and submission, serving the people who, that you've been appointed to, not like a tyrant lording over your authority over them. And finally, he ends the discussion in this way in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to, be, uh, not to uh, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This not only sums up the book of Mark, right? This is the, the theme verse. But this describes the gospel, that Jesus came into this world as a servant. And, and think about this. Like, you got to have fun when you're studying the Bible. I mean, you can't just look at it, you know from a I don't know. You gotta have fun with it. But and, and relate it in your own way because in in, in this sense, you kinda think about it like Jesus could have came as like right this king and I'm I'm gonna fix you know, what's going on in society as this king and I'm a I'm gonna do this thing. And that's kinda like you thinking I'm thinking to myself, like that's how you pull up to fix this thing. I'm gonna be a better king. I'm gonna conquer Caesar in this wise. You know what Jesus comes as? a blue-collared worker. Straight up, he came as a carpenter, and on top of this, you know, it's one thing, hey, you could have been a carpenter, but hey, I could be a carpenter from Jerusalem, or I can be a carpenter in, in this cool city, in this. Nah, he's a carpenter from Nazareth, and we know in the Bible what people said about Nazareth. What good comes from Nazareth? Jesus was from the hood I mean that's the best way to explain it like straight up I know in San Antonio you know this Steve you go on you go into 90 General McMullen it switches up over there there's a certain like hey you gotta gotta watch out Las Palmas I remember going over there with my pops all the time there's a curbside over there I've heard some stories of stuff going down it gets it gets dark at night it goes down but there's a con, like there's a reputation that follows along with it and this was the reputation that followed along Jesus not only are you a blue-collar worker but you're from Nazareth and nothing good comes from Nazareth he was rejected by his own people when he pulled up into Nazareth there's just nothing good about it but this is again the son of the living god in complete submission and obedience to the father took on this form and I love that the word serve that he uses here in the Greek literally means to labor in the dust. So, right, this theme verse, right, that, the, again, in church we use this verse, oh, we, you need to serve, right, because even Jesus came as a servant himself, right, not to be served but to serve. That word serve means to labor in the dust. And at times we think serving God is up here, doing stuff on stage, you know, for all eyes to see. That's, yes, that's a part of service, but service is is gritty, it gets dirty sometimes, and it's labor intensive. It's the stuff that all behind the scenes, and y'all, we saw a glimpse of it this morning. Laboring in the dust, in, in a sense today, was trying to get this TV to work, and it's not working out. It's a good thing, hey, to get worse. This is sick. I'm, I would have never thought, like, again, how faithful the Lord is in a s- small time to have you know, sound set up to have a camera and and all these wonderful things. It's beautiful. But there's some labor in the dust that has to come along with it, and it gets tiring. Jesus is talking about, hey, serving is not just pulling up, greeting people. Oh, I'm at the coffee bar doing my thing, or I'm on stage, and, and that's the only thing I do. Service is the stuff behind the scenes that no one likes, and it's getting dirty in the dust. That's how Jesus came to serve. And that's the example, right? Look to the founder, the uh, perfecter of your faith. That's the example of service. Laboring in the dust. Not afraid to get your hands dirty. And furthermore, you know what the crazy part was? Again, he goes to be, you know, this public ministry to start. Again, carpenter from Nazareth. Well, at least I can go to, like, the city and have a cool public ministry over here and be, like, all the glitz and glamour of the city, da-da-da-da. Nah, he literally, majority of his public ministry was in the region of the Sea of Galilee. And you know, a nickname for the Sea of Galilee for that time was the Sea of the Gentiles. No one liked the Gentiles. If you were even associated with the Gentiles, you were a sinner. It was guilt by association. That's how bad their reputation was. But again, Jesus says, those are the people I'm going to. The people that have been outcasted by the society, right, by the religious system, and all these things, that's where I'm heading towards. That's why he tells them, hey, I'm a doctor for the sick. That was That's where the sick people are at. I'm going. And again, his life was a ransom for many, and that's what we saw on the cross and the resurrection, complete obedience and submission to the will of God, because this is what this was so significant about the cross, is that our sin separates us from God. And I always loved how someone put this. Jesus took that eternal separation from the Father in that moment, right? We have not tasted it here, but there's a moment, right, where you get to eternity, right? We're all promised an eternal address where you face God. And there'll be a moment where you experience that, where it's either, hey, what you did on this life, whether you chose to follow God or not, some people are going to have that moment where, man, I never knew you. And it's that eternal separation in hell. And Jesus said, I, I, I don't want people to experience that. And so he took on that when he was on the cross. And that's why in that moment where it says when everything just it got real and he cries out loud, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he experienced eternal separation from the Holy Spirit and God, which he never experienced ever. And in that moment, it's so that He could take on our penalty, our ransom, our debt of sin so that we could attain a righteousness in him. And how beautiful that is. Because everything, and this is why Satan loves to entangle us in sin. Sin just wants to steal, kill, and destroy every good thing in our life. That's all it's out to do. You know, in that moment of the garden, right, where there's that separation from God, this relationship is torn off. And and it's this dark moment in history with Adam and Eve we find the greatest hope given in that same moment with Jesus being promised to come, the Messiah, right? He shall bruise your heel, but your head will be crushed, Satan. And that was the promise of the Messiah. Again, Second Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we contain a righteous, uh, righteousness in him. And through his blood, he washes us away from every past, present, and future sin. And in him, we're made righteous in the sight of God. And so death is conquered, and now this relationship is restored with him. And it's just such a beautiful thing. Like, even the Son of God came to serve, and this was his mission. And this is what he was locked on to do. And and I love, as much as we want to hate on the disciples in this story, we're just like them. The disciples were, again, the, the sons of thunder, these crazy guys who were, it's, it's like when you're rolling in a group. There's, there are little guys that are always down to fight. That was James and John. They're ready to pop off. You got Peter, the loudmouth of the group, the leader in a sense, and he's, he's saying dumb things. And he was also a hothead, cutting off people's ears in the, in the garden and all this rowdy stuff. And you had uh, the one who's always sketched out in Thomas, always doubting. Then you have the, the fishermen who are always stinky, the scummy tax collector during this time. You even had the zealot, Simon, who was, like, so down, like, overthrowing the Romans. He was part of this, like, radical party during this time. It was, like, by any means necessary. This dude would have been, like, Antifa, like, nowadays. Like, that radical of a guy following Jesus. And then, of course, Judas, the sketchy one of the group, like, stealing from their own, like, money pot. These are the people following Jesus. But yet, look at his patience and his love to just— hey, let's go. Figure it out along the way. All you got to do is just follow me and, let, and I'll figure out the rest. As, and then even to the crowd, we relate to them. You know, the ones sentencing him to death. And, and I love what Warren Wiersbe talked about, you know, about this portion of scripture is that Jesus is inviting them, James and John, like, hey, you want that position of glory so much? I got a spot open for you on Sunday. It's on my right and my left. The only thing is, the throne that you're thinking of is, is, is a tree, and it's on the cross. And I love this because no matter where you find yourself at, Christ leads you to the cross. And especially, again, he tells you, you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, murder your flesh, pick up your cross and follow me. It's leading you to the cross. He, he's, you're given a cross to carry, and you want that position of glory? Come die with me. That's something where we're led to, and he calls all of us to, and I love something that God showed me through this study, is that no matter where you find yourself, again, you're led to the cross, but what is the kingdom of God look like? You want an idea of it? It's that cross on Calvary, those three trees, and you know those positions of glory they were fighting over so much? You know who's on the trees with Jesus during that time? The two thieves. The people in society who are like, man, have no business being a part of God. Those sinners are esteemed in the positions of glory where this is the kingdom of God. The people in society who have been outcast, forgotten, who were considered not worthy enough of his grace are brought in my positions of honor. And in those two people hanging on the cross, we find two examples. Either the one that continues mocking Jesus to his death and the one who's like, hey, just remember me when when you're in paradise that's all he asked him wasn't like hey you know wasn't this grand thing it's just like remember me and Jesus saw the the sincereness of his faith like man you were that guy I heard about so much and you know I'm I know I've done my wrongs I'm here on the tree with you I'm suffering too I I deserve it but just like have I just want mercy and and that's what Jesus gives him. He's like today you'll be with me in paradise. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And I love what it's been said before and I believe it's by tozer too. I got to I got to double check that. But you know, this is the gospel. It's jo- it's not just turning like bad men good like this dude on the cross, right? This thief making him into a good person. This is what separates the gospel and every other religion from following Jesus is this. It's not just bad men turning good. It's dead men becoming alive again. That's the gospel because guess what? It's the resurrection of life. It's not just enough for your sins to be forgiven on the cross. It's being raised into this new person, and that's the beauty of it, and I, and when I was making, uh, preparing the study, I knew I would never get to my second point. I was looking at my notes. I was like, dang, I got so much here, And my second point was through his actions, and I'll briefly just mention it here. Um, But really, it kind of goes into the application of today's study, and it's in Mark chapter 46 verses, uh, Mark chapter 10 verses uh, 46 through 52, and I love this because it's not just enough to know the things of God, the doctrine of God, the word of God, the will of God. You got to live it out if you want to see it go down you want to see the power alongside with it and you want to know what the gospel looks like it, uh, it's in here as they're traveling outside the city of jericho as it says this and now when it came time uh... they came to jericho and they went out of jericho the great mult- uh, multitude followed him and a blind bartimaeus the son of I, as much as i practice bible names i get tripped up sometimes but you can sound it out the son of this guy Uh, sat by the road begging, and when he heard Jesus, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, still set on Jerusalem. They're traveling towards Jericho, and again, the crowd's following him, and we're introduced to this. The only time he's named is in this gospel, Bartimaeus, right? And he was a blind beggar, and during those times, you know, if if you had a disability at all, being blind, deaf, you were a leopard or any kind of disease, it was typically associated, you did something wrong or your parents did something wrong. And so you're, it was kind of like an old, old wives' tale in a sense, right? Of just like, this is, why, this is why you're like that. And not only was it, again, your identity that you did something wrong and God's punishing you, you literally had to wear like a garment, to like signify that something was wrong with you. So he would wear like this striped sash. And this garment is all he had. And on top of all these things, he was a beggar. You know, I don't know how much in divine, it's everywhere, but you see that person on the side of the road. And there's kind of like this naturally in your head, what did he or she do to get in that position? They must have did something wrong. So there's all these things and and all this stuff. He's been carrying this weight of for so long. And he finally, and, he, and this is the beauty, he may have not had sight, but he heard. And he heard enough about Jesus. And, and the crowd, what is they calling him? It's Jesus of Nazareth. is rolling through the city. What good comes from Nazareth? He's just this good teacher, this cool prophet that does a cool tricks here and there. He heard that and was like, it's him. Jesus, son of David have mercy on me and then what does the crowd do in verse 48 they warned him to be quiet but he cried all the more louder son of David have mercy on me and isn't that so true like you're trying to get right with God or you're trying to start doing the things of God right in your own life and it may be your family your friends or like just in a mix of things and there's always people just trying to shoot you down this is what's happening with this guy they're like man be quiet bro like you're just being annoying but what does he do? This he like, oh, okay, I'll stop. I'll go back trying to beg. All the more louder he cries out. I may not be able to see him, but I can hear him and I can speak. And I'm doing everything I can to go to him. And it says Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called to him. Always in the gospel, when everyone had anything going down, even the the woman who was hemorrhaging for so long and doctors couldn't figure out things, she spent all this money, even when she touched just the hem of his garment, he knew she'd been healed. And throughout the gospels, you see all these things of, of Jesus hearing these people, and it just goes to show all the more louder he hears you. He hears that need. And he goes on to say he called them to... To bring him here. And they called the blind man and said, be a good cheer, rise, he's calling you. Look how the people switched up so quick. It's funny how they did that. But he doesn't care about all that. Look at verse 50. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. You know how significant it is, throwing his garment? That's all he had. That's all the one thing that he had to his name, was just this garment. And the one thing that he had, had this uh, negative reputation, a negative lie that became truth in his life, that I did something wrong and God's punishing me, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not qualified enough, I'm not worthy enough of his grace. That's all he had to his name. And what does he do? He throws that aside. That's where he kept his money. That's where he kept anything that he had. He throws it aside. And I love the part, he hasn't been healed yet. He hasn't been healed. Jesus didn't say, rise, you're gonna, like, hey, have sight and come to me. Nah. He hasn't been healed yet, but what does he do? He rises and he runs, and and when you read that, I'm like, man, he's blind. How does he know where to run and not run into a wall or run into people in the crowd? And think about this. He gets up and goes, and maybe they were assisting him. I don't know, but even then, he's still bumping into people. There's still obstacles in his way, but what does he do? That's not, that's not impossible for him. Even though he has this disability, he doesn't have that wasn't an obstacle that he couldn't overcome, because Jesus told him what? Come to me. And so what did he do? He ran after him. And when he gets to Jesus, Jesus asks him this, what do you want me to do for you? And this is one of the most like, open-ended questions like you see in the gospel. He could have said anything, anything he could have asked Jesus for. And all he says is, Rabbi, that I might receive my sight. He just wanted to see. That was just as the thing, like as big as obstacle. I just want to see how, how beautiful and simplistic that is. And that, and that goes for us in our life. There's those things in our life, right? I remember, you know, growing up, peace was temporary in the home. There'd be those moments where it's smooth. There'd be moments in my life where I had peace, things were good. But it was never lasting. And that was the biggest thing. Oh, I just want a peaceful life. I just want peace in my life. That no matter the circumstances that are going on, no matter the chaos that, that is brewing, no matter all these things, I just want peace. And, and that is so much in our life. And we can put ourselves into that, what do you want me to do? And it's that answer, you know what that answer is that you need to make that step to follow him. Or that ability that you don't have, that you need Jesus to meet that need. And I love what Jesus tells them. Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received sight and followed Jesus. And, and how beautiful is that his faith made him well. His faith made him well to get up. His faith made him well to hear, hey, it, it's Jesus, and this crowd is, like, stirring up. Jesus, son of David, he had no, like, certainty that he could. all he could do was just scream and hope Jesus could hear him. He had the faith to do that. He had the faith that even though the crowd is telling him to shut up and be quiet, to cry even more louder, he had the faith to rise when Jesus called him and to run after him. He had the faith to leave everything that he had and owned to follow after Jesus. And he had the faith and the boldness to ask Jesus, the great physician, the healer, to meet his need. Faith is the key, and this is the thing that the disciples were struggling with was the sincerity of their faith. Why are you following Jesus? Is it just because of the things that he can offer, right? To to have these positions of glory, to to do these things. Is it just because of that? Like so many times we make people buy into the idea of Christianity and the self-help that can come with it and and the community that you can find your it's, Christianity is so much more than that. And it's not this idea of what the, the, the Western culture of the church has done in America. That's not, that's not what it is. It's, it's not this cruise ship. I know my pops have shared this before. The people inside of the church is not for just to fulfill your entertainment, to make you feel good one night and then come back the next to feel good again and to serve every single need. Yeah, that's a part of it, a service, but it's not for the sake of entertainment the church is that worship that you see out at sea you know how many people it takes just for one fighter jet one pilot in his jet to launch off of that pad is 50 people and their purpose is not for the entertainment of course they're serving their pilots right and preparing them to allow them to f- fulfill their mission but that's their purpose is to fulfill their mission that's their purpose And that's the purpose of this church. And the church in the Bible is equipping people to go out and fulfill the Great Commission, to serve Jesus in every aspect of their life, their marriages, their workplace, wherever God has you at, is to serve and be like Christ. Service in the dirt. And this is the gospel and how beautiful it is. A blind man receiving sight, light in the darkness. That's what Jesus does. He illuminates our life. In this world, we, we don't have sight. It's dark. What does God and his word do? It illuminates our path. It's not that the darkness is completely taken away. I mean, we're, in this life, we're promised great trials and tribulation, it says. Your circumstances don't necessarily change, but you have the ability now to have peace, to have a way through the darkness. And this is what God does in our life. Understanding this Right, The kingdom of God, his nature, and serving him is, is so important, important. Understanding the gospel, because that's where you find your passion. is stories like Bartimaeus. It's like, man, receiving that sight. And what does he do after that? Receiving his sight? He doesn't go out, peace out, I got what I needed. He follows Jesus along the path, leaving his garment and everything behind. And this is what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. It's so much more than you. It, it's, it's for others. It's like that worship. It's, it's for you to be sent out and to fulfill your mission.
0: I would like to thank you for taking time to listen to our broadcast. This is uh, Pastor Michael Fatigue from Calvary Chapel Divine, Texas. If you're someone like me who is uh, listens to a lot of podcasts, you can also listen to us on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Audible, iHeartRadio, Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, just type in Calvary Chapel uh, Divine, and you'll you'll be able to track us down. And lastly, I just wanted to invite you out to church. Uh, we are a casual church that meets in a non-traditional building, uh, meaning that we meet at the VFW 3966 on West College Avenue, big white building right next to the the post office. Uh, If you want to get more information about our church, if you need to ask uh, some questions, or you even need prayer, just go to calvarydivine.org. And uh, we want to thank you again just for listening to this broadcast of Calvary Chapel Divine Texas, Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. God bless you. Have a good one.